Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Hi, all Brittany here. This episode of Food Therapy is brought to you by The Nurture Approach, my brand new self-paced course. This course will provide the space and tools to help you cultivate a nurturing and positive relationship with food in your body. Parents love the idea of helping their child cultivate a healthy relationship with food and body, and yet are so confused when it comes to their own relationship and how they can support their kids. This course is also for those who hope to be parents one day and just want to have food figured out. My goal is to help you feel less overwhelmed and walk away feeling more empowered to raise resilient and confident eaters. This course is for you if you don't want your kids to struggle with their relationship with food and body the same way you did. You want to enjoy your favorite foods with your family without worrying or feeling guilty afterwards. You want to feel confident feeding your kids by learning how to create boundaries without restriction. And finally, you want to help your kids or future kids have a healthy relationship with food and body, but you're just so confused when it comes to your own relationship with food and body. This work is hard and you should not have to do it alone. Along with my course, you will have access to a wonderful Facebook community of other like-minded parents moderated by yours truly. I will also be going live every month answering your burning questions. So if you are interested in learning more, head to the link in the show notes or feel free to reach out to me via DM at No Food Fears. You can also send me an email as well. I would love to talk with you and I hope to see you inside the course. Hello and welcome back to the Food Therapy Podcast. Today we are joined by Ellie Weinstein. He is a social work therapist who has worked in a psych hospital, intensive outpatient clinic, and currently runs his own private practice in both New York and Nevada. He is married to his wife, Ariella, and has two beautiful children, Ricky and Max, and lives in sunny Las Vegas, which we were just chatting about and we're jealous of him. Um, he created Elevation, the Dude Therapist podcast, and became a therapist to fill a need and create a modern outlook on mental health to create a more digestible and relatable view on mental health to help those in struggling times and add some extra inspiration and motivation into everyday life. Ellie has been featured on the Kelly Clarkson show, The Trauma Therapist, Mimosas with Moms, Holding Space, Breaking Taboo, Therapy Thoughts with Tiffany Rowe, and on multiple podcasts ranging from parenting, relationships, mental health, and infertility. Welcome, Ellie. Thanks for having me. Now I can add food therapy podcast to the list. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, if you guys have a logo, I'll put it on my, my website. You know, I'll put it on my website as Love featured. Uh... Media, featured media. Yeah. Love it. So tell us what, obviously that gave us a decent idea about what you do, but how'd you get into this work? What does your daily life as a therapist look like? Give us the rundown. So as a kid, so I have ADHD. And so I was always in therapy, trying to figure out ways to deal with life, social skills, all those fun things. 
And I was always that person who would be the guy in the, like at recess, sitting in the corner, like chatting with all the, like, I wasn't the one who was the most sporty. I was the one who was kind of the listener. Uh, always had a lot of friends who were girls, friends who were guys talking. And uh, I think it was just part of who I was. I, God gave me two massive ears. Um, and uh, and I think it was really like an opportunity. And, I, and I, I love people. I love their journey. I love stories. I love helping. And I love being there for people at their lows and at their highs. So, and I'm not good at math. I'm not that great at science. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to be a doctor. Um, let me find something else that helps people. And so I went to school, fell in love with it. And, uh, and my daily life is, uh, changes every day. That's the exciting thing. I don't know if you guys feel the same way in your line of work, but like every day is different. Even if my week is the same schedule week to week with the same clients, how they show up, when they show up and what energy they show up with is different. So it brings a different energy every day. And then when you got two little kids, you never know what's going to happen. Yes. I mean, Laura and I are, neither of us are at that stage yet, but I can only imagine that brings a whole whole other um, world to you. In terms of your clients, what type of clients do you see? You know, it sounds like there's a wide range. Yeah. And so I basically work with uh, individuals and couples, adults. Um, I specialize in relationships. Uh, so I do couple work, individual work when it comes to relationships. I specialize in anxiety work and I specialize in parenting. But I work with anyone and everyone for the most part. But the biggest struggle I have seen today that I work with most days is anxiety, right? What the hell just happened the past couple of years? How do I get through this and how do I go forward? Um, stress of daily life, just general stress, maybe not the level of anxiety, but I'm not feeling so great. I'm not feeling myself. Uh, definitely depression is a huge thing, especially this time of year. And just life, life, you know, just having someone to talk to, to get through life. Yes. And uh, uh, that's really what it's about. Like, I, I hate to say this, and I like my wife's a dietitian. So I love dietitians. I love the world of, you know, nutrition and dietitian and dietetics. I think it's called right. Yes. Dietetics. Yep. dietetics. Um, and uh, for, for, for me, I don't have any special gift. I'm just here to listen. And I have a lot of training to pay attention differently than other people and be objective and kind of have some skills to help someone deal with their life a little bit better. But I'm really just helping people by listening and, and giving it, you know, and giving some perspective. That's really what it's yes. about. That's the secret sauce, you know? Yes. What have you noticed? Obviously, we've gone through and we're still continuing to go through this like traumatic pandemic. And, yeah. you know, so many lives were upended and, and changed. What have you noticed to come out from this pandemic, like over the last few years with people's lives just totally changing and so much unknown? I think the biggest takeaway that I've, I've seen and what I try to kind of help people see is the gratitude and, 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 and what to appreciate now. I mean, I've had friends, maybe you've experienced this, I don't know, uh, getting married over, over COVID and they have a very small wedding, but it's so beautiful. I think, and, and birthday parties and our way of life, sim simplifying it to a different level and being grateful for the simple things and excited about the big things, I think is something that a lot of us have learned 
unfortunately, because of the ridiculousness that life gave, even just simplicity of not wearing a mask, right? Not covering our face, the simplicity of being able to go outside and go to our friend's house just because we can, right? Um, seeing people in person versus FaceTime, uh, being able to travel and do things that we took, maybe took for granted. I think a lot of gratitude has shifted in a lot of people. And I think people's priorities have shifted to being a more fulfilling lifestyle because of what we potentially could have lost forever. I think is a huge thing that I've seen. And how as a therapist, I'm always curious, like I had this realization in COVID that like, you know, and I think just growing up in general, like growing up, you're like, oh, my parents are superheroes. Like they have all the answers, my therapist, my doctor, they have all the answers. And it's like, oh, wait, they're just people too. How did you deal with, like, how do you deal with your own emotions and feelings, especially during COVID when it's like, well, I'm scared of shit too. Like, how do you deal with other people who are having fears that you're like, wait, those are my fears too? Well, first of all, I'm very big in my practice to be very transparent and honest. So like, I'm a human. Like, sometimes I'm really tired and grumpy and sometimes um, in a great mood. You know, recently I had a client who was telling me that two of his friends committed suicide in a matter of a week. I cried with him because that, that was hard to hear. And his pain, who I truly care about, I felt his pain. So I cried. I'm a person, right? And I think the difference and distinction between a healthcare worker or, or anyone in the helping world, a good to, to great distinction of someone who's good at their job versus amazing or great at their job is how they take their, their client's stuff and deal with it on their own, right? The okay, good ones take it on too much and get burnt out and can't last. The great, awesome ones are the ones who can learn how to separate themselves. Not they don't care, but they learn how to separate themselves and take care of themselves. For me, COVID taught me how to take care of myself mm. because it was really hard to go through this stuff as well as my clients going through pretty much the same darn thing as I was. And for me, a huge part of it was moving out to Vegas. Like priority wise, my wife and I decided that we needed to be outdoors more or access to beautiful weather where I can step outside my house, take a big deep breath in and feel centered and calm because New York was just not providing that for us. And nothing against New York. I, I grew up there all my life. For 30 years, I lived in New York and it was just not right for us anymore. Two little kids being trapped in the house, not a good thing. There are parks every other block in Vegas. Wow. So we have more access that if it, which I hope it doesn't, we get shut down at some point in the near future, we have ability to do. We can't, we don't like, so all these things shifted for us, mm. you know, the idea of, of how to learn what works for us to take care of ourselves. And I think that that was a huge thing that happened during COVID is what, what you just said, Lauren, like everyone realized no one knows what they're doing. We're just doing our best. Whether, and like, I, like I said before, I'm just a person who listens and is able to pick up on things that you can't because you're in it. I'm not this superhero genius expert, you know, above you kind of person. That's why what I'm wearing right now is my, I wear a t-shirt and joggers or jeans. Like I'm not wearing a buttoned up shirt with, you know, you know, the, uh, the elbow pads on the jacket or the, the tie, you know, 
I'm one. I'm, I'm trying to be as normal as possible because I am. And uh, I think it's about being relatable that makes people feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think is the biggest right. thing. And I think we need we needed that during COVID. We needed to feel normal that someone else felt similar. So it was hard, but that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's a that was a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> I think it was a great question. <laughs> Do you? particularly see more males in your practice being a male do you in terms of like the clients that you see and also how is that part of your mission because you know we deal with a lot of not me and Brittany particular but in this world of like shaming men for having emotions and feelings and wanting to go to therapy and all these things do you see a lot of these clients? And then also, do you have any advice for these people that might feel that way? Yeah, I love, I love that question. Because when I, when I first started working in, I was working in a clinic that was basically a mill. I was seeing like 45, 50 people a week, working two to three nights a week till 10 o'clock at night, seeing 10 to 15 people a day. It was insanity. I cannot believe I survived and that I still want to be a therapist. It was just, it was torturous. But that time, my percentage-wise, I was seeing maybe two to three percent men. Mm. All of a sudden, I opened a private practice, and it's it's kind of like sixty forty men. I mean, forty percent being men, sixty percent being women. Also, I deal with couples, so it's kind of like a two. Right. Uh, so I, I, you know, I don't know if I count that as like, a, you know, who's dragging who to the therapy, you know, the couples therapy. But in, in reality, you know, when I created the dude therapist, it was it was because I'm a dude as a therapist, not because I specialize in dude therapy. Because, uh, but I do believe that there is a shift in society of men realizing, and this is, I think, another thing that came out of COVID. Like, can I curse? Of course. Like, shit came out. Yes. Right? Stuff came to the surface, right? The sediment came up to the top. And we're like, oh, I don't have my stuff together. This brought out some real nice stuff for me to realize. So I think that kind of shifted some people that maybe were afraid to, felt stigmatized, felt nervous, felt ashamed to ever come to therapy was like, I got some stuff I gotta take care of. This is pretty scary. Or this is not, this is not me, or I don't know who this is. I'm looking in the mirror, or you know, my family's struggling because I'm struggling. And people really started coming out of the woodworks to therapy. I think it forced a lot of people to look, take a hard look at themselves. Cause I think the reality is, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a therapist, and I'm not just saying this because I get paid to do this. I think a lot of people, everyone needs therapy. And I don't mean that in like everyone's sick in the head and everyone's quote unquote crazy. I think everyone deserves to have someone to talk to who's not their family, who's not their spouse, who's not their partner, who's not their kids, who's not their, you know, their best friend, like burden that person, not your, not your people. So I think it kind of taught people like, Hey, I think I need a little extra support in my life. Let me add someone to my team. You know, we say that kids need a village. So do adults. We need a community. We need a village to help us get through the stress of life. And a lot of men, I think, realize that. And the funny thing is, when you when I look at my clients, now that I'm thinking about it, women are like, let's get to work. Boom, bam, like we're in it, we're growing, we're pushing, let's do more. No, we gotta focus on this now. And men are like, chill, like, I don't know what I wanna talk about. Let's just chit chat for like seven weeks and all of a sudden something comes out. It's like, Oh, let's work on that. And then it's like, oh, maybe that it's like a lot more slow paced. Yes. Um, that I have found with therapy with a lot of uh, men, but they're still coming every week or every other week, whatever it is, they still show up 
And in my head, I'm like, what are you doing here? In my head, I'm like, we just talked about sports for 45 minutes. Right, right. Like, thank you for easy money, but like, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to help you. So I challenge them. I'm like, dude, we just talked for 45 minutes for like, like, what are we doing? Well, I don't know. I wasn't sure of how I felt today. I was a little nervous to say something. So it really depends on the person, but it's happening. There's a huge shift in happening. And the advice I have is like, if you want to talk to someone, just try. Just try. Just take yeah. one session. Just one session. That's all it takes. And if you don't like it, you, you, you can prove to yourself that you reached out to somebody yeah. because it's a disservice to yourself and to your family. And this is for women as well. Like if you're not doing okay, it doesn't help anyone. So let's start taking care of ourselves a little bit more. You, you spoke to this, but what is something you wish people knew about therapy? People oh, who are I, maybe hesitant. To <laughs> I think the biggest things that people think about therapists are that I'm going to like manipulate your brain and like convince you to believe things. I'm not here gaslighting anyone. Uh, I'm here to help you with the way that you need to be helped. I do believe that there are a lot of scary stories or, you know, those like that bad doctor that everyone knows had like, oh my gosh, I went to this doctor and it was terrible experience, right? There's always going to be good eggs and bad eggs of any profession, right? People who have bad intentions or don't do a good job. I think for the most part, therapists care and are compassionate and have your back. I'm not here to kind of convince you that you're crazy. I'm not here to convince you to go to the hospital. I am not throwing people in jail every other day. I'm not locking people up. The biggest thing that people have misconceptions is like, I'm going to also like read into their minds and tell them secrets. I am not like a, a mind reader soothsayer who like has secrets of the world. I'm just a human being who's listening and paying attention and caring, which a lot of people don't get in their life. So it's really an amazing thing when all of a sudden people realize, oh my, oh, you're, you care about me. It's like, yeah. Oh, oh, you're listening. Yeah. Wait. So you're not going to dive into my childhood trauma of like who I wanted to sleep with as a kid because of Freud. I'm like, no, right. (laughs) I'm not going to hypnotize you and make you cluck like a chicken. Psychoanalyze. And I think there's a, there's a pro and con of psychoanalytics, but like, that's like so dead and gone. And I also believe that there is this, this, this old school view of therapy where it's like, hmm, ah, how does it make you feel? Right, that joke. That's a crap old style. Modern therapy is active and involved and conversational and communicative. So like try out a new therapist. And if just because you had one bad experience, you don't just stop. If, you had a bad, if every time you had a bad experience at something and you stopped, you would hide in your house forever. So just what? try Yes. What age do you think somebody should start attending therapy? You know, I, I, I think with the right person, as young as a teenager, I think if someone who is someone who can think critically and have conversation and deep thinking, I think is fit for it. Yes. And there's also, you know, of course, there's play therapy for kids. And, and I think that's very beautiful. I, it's not my, my strong, not my thing at all. I think there's a place for it. I think if some a kid is struggling, my thing with mental health and therapy is if someone if you're not functioning or being the person that you hope or want to be, talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. It's not that you all of a sudden have the deepest darkest thoughts and you want to hurt yourself. You don't have to be in crisis. Now if you're in crisis, please call somebody. But right. if, it could be that hey, I wake up every day and I don't feel good. And I don't want that to be my feeling or 
every time I'm in a relationship, things don't go as I expect. Or I keep getting into arguments because the way I'm viewing the world just is dark. And, mm-hmm. Or I feel a sense of anxiousness and stress all the time. Talk to somebody, right? If you're not the person that you hope to be or that you're not functioning at the place that you hope to be functioning, that's when you start talking to someone. It's interesting because everything that you mention requires a certain level of self-awareness. Yeah. Right? So what do you say to somebody who has these types of people in their lives where it's like, oh my God, they really need therapy, but they just don't even understand that they are this <laughs> troubled, right? Like what every if family people- get together. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually a saying that says like, I go to therapy because the people that need to don't. So, yeah, right? there is. Yes. So for Lauren, for, for, I think the biggest thing is how you go about doing it. Right. I don't think anyone wants to be told, Hey, you suck. Get it together. Right. The same thing, like the same thing with like health, right. As a dietitian, going to someone like, Hey, eat better. You're fat. Right. Which is a terrible thing to say to anyone and right. commenting on someone's body and calling someone that is atrocious, but coming to someone, right. I was extreme on purpose. I hope no one does that. Please don't do that. Um, <laughs> right. But like coming to someone and said, Hey, are you okay? You don't seem like you're doing okay. I care about you. Is there any way I can help? You know, I'm going to therapy now and it's really helping me. I would love to talk to you about it if you want to. Right. Kind of leading that vulnerability. Now now anyone can take anything the wrong way. Right? So if you say, hey, I really care about you doing okay. Shut up. I don't, don't, don't worry about me. I'm fine. Research shows that if someone doesn't want help, even if you force them or push them in therapy, it's not going to help. Mm-hmm. Research, there's so water. much, exactly. And there's so much research on the idea of the, even the therapist, if the therapist doesn't want to be there, it won't help. It has to be, both people have to be like bought in and involved in the process. When it comes down to it, someone wants help, they'll hopefully get it. We can't do anything to push someone. We can just kindly suggest Kindly kind of, you know, push in the right direction, but at some point they got to do it themselves. The same thing with taking care of your health, right? If someone's not eating the best way for themselves and they go to their doctor and the numbers are super high. I'm not talking about body size. I'm just talking about numbers of cholesterol and their ability to go upstairs and move and be the person they want to be. At some point they have to make the decision for themselves to change their habits and change their behaviors and change their lifestyle mm-hmm. or not. And I don't care how many comments someone gets. It's not going to help. Right. At the end of the day, if you want to facilitate that change for somebody, their reaction isn't your responsibility. Yeah. All you could do is be kind and compassionate about how you say it. And it's on them then to take it how it is, Mm -hmm. react how they want and listen and go forward. Yep. So (laughs) we we were going to have this entire podcast be about parenting, but... We've just had so many questions and great conversation. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's do it. Your, you talk a lot about parenting. What, from your experience, what has that becoming a father felt like as somebody, uh, as a therapist, as somebody who struggles with ADHD? Uh, what's that been like? Uh, the beginning was really hard. I had a massive panic attack about two months into my daughter's life. It shook my world because I didn't process or learn how to deal with my stuff as a father, as a parent, 
and knew, know it, what I was feeling. Um, it kind of opened my eyes to some of my struggles of anxiety and things of that nature to kind of get help and, and deal with my stuff. Um, and I cannot talk in a short period of time of how amazing and how wonderful uh, for me parenting is on the daily as well as the biggest pain in my butt and struggle and challenge of my life. Like I love my daughter. I call her, she's my little Rickster and my son is my little dude. And, uh, I love them to pieces. I, I would, I would actually kill a person for them. But sometimes it is like, when am I getting a break? Like, you know, when, you know, do I still have to do this every day? And, and sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's frazzling because you want to do your own things. And you want to sleep through the night, but you haven't in, you know, three years because your kids are awake or, you know, you got a baby or whatever it is, but it has softened me. It has made me more patient as a person and has changed my view on the world to be more compassionate and, and simple and simplistic in like a pure, innocent way. And I think it is so important to take those moments of simplicity and innocence that kids have in the world because we lose that when we get older, we lose it so often. Yeah. So it's a roller coaster. How oh, old are your kids? Every day. My daughter's three and a half, almost four years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my son is 10 months old, going oh. on a year very soon. So really no sleep for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No sleep. It's just like, yeah, yeah. No sleep. It's, <laughs> it's not no sleep. It's just very break broken up sleep. It's like three hours, wake up, you know, four hours, wake up. Um, but like, okay. So like it's everyone. Else. And there's some people who have kids or don't have kids and they don't sleep well either. I mean, you know, right. you know, and you know, but, uh, thank God for coffee and Celsius. Um, <laughs> I drink so much Celsius. It's ridiculous. I hope to be sponsored one day. Um, <laughs> if you're listening Celsius, I don't even know if it's good, a good drink to ha- even have. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know if it's healthy. I feel like I've seen it on social. It's all over the place. Yeah. It's everywhere. It, I can't even have it. It makes me go insane. <laughs> so for me, it doesn't. So Red Bull and like energy drinks yeah. make me shake like crazy. Yeah. Celsius does not do that to me. Interesting. But like caffeine doesn't really impact me that well either because of my ADHD. Right. So, I, so I was going to ask, I also have ADHD. I was diagnosed yeah. when I was like 12 and as someone who, you know, is hoping to be a parent in the next few years, like one of my biggest concerns is like, sometimes it's really hard for me to do like really simple, basic tasks and to complete them. And my fear when I have kids, like I'm not going to be able to like clean their bottles on time or, or do certain things, just knowing how I am in my own world. So I'm so curious how you've been able to manage that as a parent when there are so many additional responsibilities that like you really can't miss or, or can't just like not do. Well, well, there are certain things that you, you can miss on, right? The goal is to keep them alive and safe and, and healthy, right? Yeah. So there's some things that we also have to forgive, forgive ourselves that like, okay, so we didn't clean the dishes last night. We'll clean it tomorrow. Or I'm a big fan of like getting help, like a dishwasher, right? Where I don't have to do it. It's being done for me. Or, a, you know, I think a basic thing is washer and dryer in the house and all these kind of extra things. For some people, it's getting a Roomba where you just set it and forget it and you walk away and you don't have to sit there and do it. But every night it's on a schedule, all those kind of things. Um, but I have found, so I was diagnosed when I was eight, seven or eight, I believe. Uh, I was hyperactive 
to the mm-hmm. nth degree, not misbehaving, just a lot of emotions. And for me, I was on medication for years until high school, until, gra- until college, grad school, I stopped taking it. And I did top my class did pretty well, didn't need it because uh, I cared about what I was studying. Mm-hmm. Well, two and a half years ago, I started taking medication again because I felt fractured in my brain. I was, my brain was in multiple places at a multiple time. I just could not with my practice, podcast, parenting, fatherhood, you know, being a husband, all these different things. I was like, I need help. So I reached out to a psychiatrist and NP and I talked to someone about it and got the help that I needed and deserved for myself and my family. There are good days and bad days. Like I'll find my keys in the fridge or like, you know, or like say I'm going to take something upstairs. And then my wife brings it upstairs. Like Ellie, this is downstairs. I'm like, Oh shoot, I forgot. Um, I think it's also about being very compassionate with ourselves. Like we're going to make mistakes, whether you have ADHD or not. And my kids are pretty darn happy. And I think my ADHD, there's parts of it that bring creativity and silliness and fun and joy that I can tap into a lot quicker and faster than my wife can. Mm. Um, and I also have a partner who is type a, who gets that stuff done in a way that I can't. That's right. So I also have to rely on my people. Yes. The people is my wife who I adore and I obsess over. And I think she's, if it wasn't for her, I would probably flounder and my kids would not be so safe. Um, <laughs> but like, but like there are things that I do that she can't. Right. So it's also about the give and take and being compassionate with that give and take yeah. and finding what your role is, finding what your skills are as a parent and, and taking advantage of those skills and, yes. and, and, and then having a conversation with your partner. Like, here's what I'm really good at. Here's what I'm comfortable with. I want to be on this. Hmm right? I want to be on that. Also, it means paying attention. Like sometimes my ADHD makes me a little sensitive. So I'm sensitive to sometimes being impatient. So asking my daughter seven times this happened last night. I asked my daughter seven times to not do something calmly, compassionately caring. Hey, babe, little lady, please don't do that. Little lady, please don't do that. Little lady, please don't do that. And by the seventh time I went, Ricky, I raised my voice and she, uh, she started crying. And my wife stepped in and realized that I was dysregulated. I was not able to handle it calmly at that point after the seventh or eighth time. And there are times where I, you know, pop in when she's dysregulated, not doing yes. great as a parent. Mm-hmm. So really it's like give and take and compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also if something really goes wrong, make a apologize or make something silly out of it. Like, oh my gosh, you know, the keys are in the freezer and it's an ice cube. Oh, you know, like whatever it is. That hasn't happened yet, by the way, to me. That's a, that's right. a, that's a big one for me. But I, you know, it's also... And seriously, I mean this, Brittany, if at that point it comes, reach out, talk to me, see if I can help. And not doesn't have to be professionally. There's a colleague to colleague, friend to friend. Just mm-hmm. just reach out and talk. Because I think if we have people who are in some way similar. It, it's, that so it's so helpful. helpful. It, this is not surprising. I tried to get an ADHD group together because there actually are a lot of dietitians who have been diagnosed with ADHD. And one meeting happened and then like nobody could follow up to schedule. What day is it? What time is it? Oh, wait, (laughs) I didn't put in my schedule on time. I had like multiple people be like, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot my brain. And I'm like, this is, this is just, if anyone gets it, I think it's the people within the group, but it's just funny. Um, And I do think it's so helpful to speak with other people who have the same lived experience because, you know, my partner, he's also very type A. I bought him a book called When You Love Somebody Who Has ADHD. He tries to understand as much as he can, but he just doesn't understand. Like when he says, I'm going to do, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, he does it. And then for the last three weeks, he's asked me like, 
have you sent out the thank you cards? Have you sent out the thank you cards? And finally, I just sent out the thank you cards because I couldn't take hearing it again. But it, it's <laughs> definitely helpful to have somebody in the couple who um, is a little more organized. You see, yes. I'm really blessed. My wife has like computer-like handwriting. Um, and when we got married, she took care of it because she didn't want me to write it because I'm a therapist and my handwriting got it. is <laughs> literally a chicken scratch. Yes. Um, yeah. And and she's like, I did one. She's like, never mind, not happening. So, you know, that that was helpful. And I was, you know, um, so funny. it's on her. But I tell him to call me if he needs. <laughs> because it's, 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 a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. It's very and also real. it's about growing up. Well, like it's also, and I don't mean that you're immature. I mean, growing up in the way of learning right. how your yeah. ADHD shows up in different scenarios, because you're never going to know what it's like to have ADHD with a parent as a parent until you're a parent. Right. Yeah. And you I might mean, have all the fears and worries about it, but until you yes. do it, it could not actually be a problem. And it could be that like multitasking and doing like 18 things at once is super needed as a parent. Like, oh, this kid's crying. And now it's a, a poopy diaper. Oh, and I have to get this ready. Oh, and there's something on the stove and there's this. Right. And you're literally just like going. Yes. And for me, I also utilize technology. So I use the reminder yeah. app and my notes app so often. I rely on them so heavily because, and I have like three calendars, one physical eye calendar, my electronic health system calendar. Yep. I have it so that it's never forgotten or lost somewhere. Yes. I just have to go to those resources. I know they're in those three places. So if they're not, if they're, they'll be there somewhere. Yes. hundred percent. Now on the other side of things, what does the conversation look like? Like I just got engaged. I'm like, I don't know if I want kids. What, how do you decide that? Like, what is, what is Ooh. the conversation in a, in a couple and just in your inner dialogue with like, do I live a childless life or not? You guys are asking hard questions. I, I love it. I love it. This is my, my, my passion. I love it. Every day I would love to be asked questions like this. I think, you know, as a relationship specialist, I work with a lot of couples every day and, and individuals on their relationships. And this is, there are three main stressors that cause the hardest conversations in relationship relationships. It's finances, it's sex, and it's kids, right? And I'm not talking about just having kids, but when you have kids, how do you parent kids? Yeah. Right. It's always like this emotionally driven thing. And I think it comes from a, a, a view of comfortability, of honesty, and uh, value belief systems. Mm-hmm. Right. So kids, for me and my wife, was a cultural, religious, I'm an Orthodox Jew. Like, it, you have to have kids. Like, it's just, it's like a, a commandment in the Bible to have kids. And it's like, if you don't, you're a failure. Right. Which is a huge pressure and inappropriate pressure. Right. Because some people don't want kids. And my wife and I actually had infertility. Mm-hmm. So like, now what? Like, holy crap. Like, are we failures as Jews? Like, because we couldn't have kids. Right. So it was very, very stressful. I will say this about the kids conversation. There's three main things that need to happen in a conversation for any hard conversation. Okay. And this is like my rule of thumb for any hard conversation. One, you need to validate. Now, validation means I hear what you're saying. Thanks for sharing. That's it. It doesn't mean I agree with you. It doesn't mean that now my viewpoint has changed. It doesn't mean I like what you said. I hear that you said it. I respect you as a person. I care about you. So I hear, thanks so much for sharing. That means a lot to me, period. The second is compassion. You have to bring compassion into conversation that's emotional. That means, who am I talking to? I'm not talking to my enemy. I'm talking to someone I love and care about. 
And the three is, is it productive and purposeful? This is not about bringing in old wounds. What am I saying right now that is purposeful and productive to this moment here and now? Now, of course, you know, my wife and I get into arguments all the time. It happens. And it's not always productive. It's not always, you know, and all of a sudden we start bringing in old pains and, and other triggers and things like that. Can we bring it back and, re- and repair? The fourth extra thing is, can we repair? If we do go off the rails, how do we come back to each other and talk calmly and caring to each other and then have and continue the conversation without fear? So kids are a very stressful conversation. And I say this with as much love for anyone who's listening or anyone who's here right now, is the idea of kids are not for everyone. Neither are marriages and relationships. It doesn't make you a bad person or a problem of society or like a terrible thing in the world. Some people are meant to be single. Some people are not meant to be in relationships. Some people don't want to be tied down. They want to have individuality and freedom, which I think can happen in marriages and relationships with the right person. But I also think that kids are a huge struggle, right? How I run my life is very different than how I did when I was single and how I was with just my wife. Travel is different. Daily life is different. I think there's a comedian that uh, I don't remember which one. I listen to a lot of comedy because I need some levity at the end of the night with my wife and I cuddle in bed and watch comedy specials and stand up. So we laugh and just escape a little bit from the seriousness of the world. Um, And someone's like, when you were like single or just with your partner, okay, let's go out, grab your keys, wallet. We're good. Get in the car with kids. It's like, do you have the diapers? Do you have this? Do you have that? Oh my gosh, where are the keys? Wait, is the kid here? Do they have their shoes on? What about their pants? Are they wearing a jacket? Right. It's just, there's so much more just to get out the freaking door to go to the store or to go do an errand or even something fun. That's not for everyone. So how do you have the conversation? Be honest, real, and respectful. And it doesn't mean that that viewpoint is static forever. It could be for just now. But that conversation needs to happen before it gets too serious. Because I work with a couple right now, an individual right now, where she's been saying for years, I want kids, I want kids, I want kids, I want my own kids, and I want to adopt kids to give them a better life. And now they're like, they're getting, they got engaged, and they're about to get married. And the guy's like, hmm, about that kid's thing. I don't know if I want. And she's like, what the F? Like, I've been talking about this for, for three years. He wasn't listening. Right. So classic, right? Surprise. So <laughs> make sure you have the conversation to make sure you guys are on the same page and also keep the door open that it's not a no or a yes, but let's mm-hmm. keep talking about it. Right. What happens when you're not on the same page? What's so interesting. One of my close friends from high school, since we were 15, she always said, I don't want kids. I don't want kids. Yeah. And I always thought like, oh, maybe she'll change her mind. And, you know, she and her husband decided to not have kids. He initially was really not on board. He always imagined having a family and they both made the decision together. Like we decided we don't want children. But what happens when one person in the couple is like very adamant about having kids and the other one just does not want that life? Yeah. So I think uh, in in the end, um, then... There are a few things that we as people, as humans, we have needs that are, there's two types of people in the world. If you look at the research, Adam Grant talks about this so often, and I forgot the person who did the original research because his name is really hard to pronounce. And I just, you know, then I forgot about it. I'm like, never mind. Um, It's called satisficers and maximizers. So these are real words. They sound fake, but a, a satisficer is someone who, if they hit their checklist, they are good. They're satisfied with whatever is in front of them. So for example, I always give buying a house. I need these amount of bedrooms to be happy. I need this type of kitchen. I need this type of backyard. 
right? My standards aren't so high, but these are just my standards. And if it hits that mark, we're buying that house. That's the house. We're going to put a bid on that house. A maximizer would be like, well, this is fine, but a heated pool, right? So we all flip-flop maximizer satisficers to different scenarios. Someone who's a chronic dater is usually a maximizer because someone could have a better body or a different voice or a better family or more money or a cooler job or different hair or, you know, put in whatever the extra sauce is that you would like. It doesn't mean you're always going to get it, right? But it means that you're going to keep looking for it until you maybe feel like you get it. So when it comes down to it, we have certain standards in relationships. And this is not being picky. I want to be very clear. Maximizers are picky at sometimes. It doesn't make them bad people. Sometimes they're just picky about their needs. If you can hit your marker and be satisfied, you have to come up with that list of what your needs are that need to be met, the checklist. If having kids is a need for you and a must, you should not be dating someone who doesn't because we cannot date potential change, especially on values. I'm not talking about change for like, hey, you know, when we get older, we're going to do new things. Okay. Let's try something, you know, adventurous in the bedroom or something. Let's go travel. Oh, I don't like to. Let's try. Right? I'm not talking about that potential. I'm talking about this is my belief system because of X, Y, and Z. I'm not changing on that. Mm-hmm. Well, well, what am I going to do if I say, okay, fine. Well, it's good for now. And then five years into it, you're like, wait, you're still not changing. Yeah, I told you that. Right. So we have to be very careful that we cannot date or marry potential change of a person's belief system and character traits. But if they are on the fence and they're not sure, that's okay. But just make sure that we are on the same page. And if we're not, why am I with someone who is not fulfilling that satisfied need? There are, might be other things that are great, but if that not need is not being met, then, then that, that's not for me. It doesn't mean that person sucks, is terrible, is a terrorist or a serial killer. It just means that it's not the full picture that I need for me to have a full future and be fulfilled. And that's a hard conversation to have sometimes when you're in it already, because that's very scary to go down that road. Yeah, no, it, it, I'm sure it is. I was laughing at the maximizer. My fiance calls me an optimizer because even with wedding planning, I have to look at 15 different options to make up my mind. And I, I actually- that, That's think, not a maximizer, by the way, Brittany. Oh, it's not? Is it an optimizer? No. I don't, know if that, with ADHD. I, I don't know what that word is either, but we'll use it. Optimizer. I use therapizing. It's not a real word, but I like to use it because it makes sense. But to me, having options and then picking, it's that you want to make sure that you're picking the right choice. Now, that to me is anxiety, right? It's a stress response, right? Yes. No, I'm not, yeah. not here diagnosing. I hope I didn't cause any trouble, but it's anxiety based, right? It's like, <laughs> I need to make sure I look at all the... I'm saying I need to make sure I look at all the options and then decide something. Yes, that's right. It's not, but it's not that you're not satisfied because I think once you finally look and decide on something, you then are like, oh, this is the right one. Right. But then I like think, is it the right one? But yeah, that, that's, you're right. that's That's my anxiety. Yeah. My, a that's nice why I re- can't go to a store with too many options. It freaks me out. 100%. Oh my God. It's, that's why I like shopping online because then I yes. can pick what I want. Thank God for Target drive up and pick up. When I go into Target, <laughs> I spent $400 and I'm like, I think this is everyone's like, what the hell did I just do? Right. Like, well, look at all the options. I'm sure I need that one day. Right. 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 But like when I can control the environment, that's, that's like just how brains work sometimes. 
Yeah, I literally had that today because Austin and I are in the process of choosing a wedding venue and I get so over, I'm like, I need to see every possible option, make the perfect choice. Like we had pretty much decided on a place and I'm like, oh, but I really, really want to hear back from this place. And they haven't heard back. So I'm like DMing people. I'm calling every phone number because they don't freaking answer and finally answer. And I'm like, okay, I just needed to know that I could cross this one off my list. Right. The, the, The guy literally verbatim said, if you're proud that the guys want to drink Miller Lite and wear ties on the dance, wear their ties on their head on the dance floor. We're not the venue for you. I said, okay. <laughs> we are a party crowd. Basically, if you so, want to have fun, don't come here. Yeah. He said, so it, it's in Cape May. So they had, uh, it's like in a residential area. So he's like, we've literally had cops down the wedding. Yeah. I was like, mm, no, thank you. Glad I can check that off the list. But it's the same thing when I go shopping. My friends can't go shopping with me because I need to touch and see every piece of clothing in there to make sure I'm not missing anything. That's definitely anxiety for both of us, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Oh, this is amazing. Really quickly, I want to just ask you about the Dude Therapist podcast. Yeah. yeah. You know, what should we expect to hear? Who do you typically have on? Um, and then obviously where people can find you and work with you. Yeah, sure. So like Lauren's going to be on an episode in the middle end of January. <laughs> My biggest thing with the dude therapist started during COVID uh, classic ADHD. I'm like, Hmm, I'm not doing enough. Let me do more. Um, it was like, I-, I have a family and a private practice. Let me add more on my plate. And I also, I, I would have rather written blogs, but my biggest fear is writing um, mm. because of my ADHD. I have a bad history of like getting F's on my grades because my grammar and my cohesiveness is not great, i.e. my bio. Um, and uh, just too much information like vomiting on a piece of paper. And so I was like, hey, I like to speak and I like to talk to people and, and, and hear their stories. I have anyone and everyone who is about a professional or an expert in their field on mental health, um, whether it's, I consider that to be dietitians as well. I have a a lot of dietitians on. I've had like Dr. Colleen Reichman on. I've had Lauren on. I've had um, Anna Sweeney on, some other cool people that are uh, unbelievable in the field of dietetics and a lot of mental health professionals. Um, uh, like some, so, and I had a gold medalist. I had a, Apollo Ono on last season. And it's just about anyone talking about mental health relationships and parenting that can give a voice in a real way to kind of not dumb it down, but make it normalized that we can talk about something for real. And I love it. Um, and it's, it's on Apple on Spotify. I used to do two a week cause I did not expect everyone to say yes when I emailed them and I had too many on my plate, but now I've lowered it to once a week and it's, uh, it's a real, I love it. I really do. I love it. And it's just so much fun for me. And anyone can find me on Instagram at Ellie Weinstein underscore LCSW, or you can reach out. I'm at the new therapist. I have a website, elliewinesandlcsw.com. You can sign up for a free consultation to work with me. You could do coaching. You could do therapy. If you ever call me, I can explain the difference. Um, it's a secret. A lot of therapists do it because they want to help more people. Um, and if anyone needs anything, please reach out. And if I can't help you, I'd be really happy to find someone who can. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was so great to have you on. And we could talk to you for another you know, two hours. So Let's do it again. awesome absolutely yes thank you so much for listening to this episode of food therapy if you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast please subscribe hit download and share it with your community we value your feedback 
If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at Food Therapy Pod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.